Well, we are continuing this week with our study through the book of Acts. So today we are looking at Acts 15, 35 to 41. Uh, these verses come right after the account of the Jerusalem Council. So let's kind of backtrack a little bit to kind of catch ourselves up. The Jerusalem Council came about because there had been challenges to the gospel. Paul and Barnabas uh, had returned to the Antioch church from their first missionary journey. They gave exciting reports of the work that the Lord had done through them as they shared the gospel in various parts of the Roman Empire. Their ministry, of course, would always start at a Jewish synagogue in the city if there was one. So they would be speaking first to people who were Jewish, but also people who were Gentile proselytes who were there. There were many Jews who accepted Jesus as the Christ, but there were even more Gentiles who believed. And so the Antioch church was especially excited to hear about that from Paul and Barnabas because their church was primarily a Gentile church. Of course, Paul and Barnabas also had opposition to their gospel preaching. The Jewish leaders in several cities organized opposition, organized persecution against them, caused many problems. But again, Paul and Barnabas persisted in their ministry. And as they were sharing of these things in the church at Antioch, another problem presents itself. Some men from Jerusalem began teaching that unless a person is circumcised and followed the law of Moses, they could not be saved. So basically, a Jew, I mean a Gentile, would need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. So this was a problem. It was a denial that a person was saved by grace through faith in Christ. None of the Gentiles who believed the gospel that Paul and Barnabas shared with them had been required to be circumcised to be saved. None of, the church, none of the members of the church at Antioch had had that requirement either. Well, Paul and Barnabas, along with the other leadership of the Antioch church, realized this was a crucial issue that needed to be addressed. So they sent a delegation to Jerusalem to talk with the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church about this. The result of those talks came to be known as the Jerusalem Council or Jerusalem Conference. So both the Jewish teachers on the one hand and the apostles had ample opportunity to debate and present their ideas. Well, then Peter stood up and he spoke. He spoke of how the Lord worked through him and his interaction with Cornelius to make it very clear that both Jew and Gentile are saved by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the same way. He shared the gospel with Cornelius, with his Gentile family and friends, and they believed. God affirmed the genuineness of their faith when he caused the Holy Spirit to come upon them in great power, just like he had done with the Jewish believers uh, at Pentecost. So God made no distinction between Jew and Gentile regarding their salvation. And since God made no distinctions, what right did they have to put stipulations on these Gentile believers? Well, then James shared, and he referred to the Old Testament prophets, uh, quoted verses from Amos and Isaiah, to point out that God had ordained that the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the promised descendant of David, that would include Gentiles from all over the world. It had always been God's intentions to include Gentiles as well as Jews among those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. James then made some suggestions uh, seemingly taken from Leviticus 17 and 18 about things the Gentile believers could do to help them live in harmony with the Jewish believers. So they wrote these things in a letter that was to be especially shared with the Gentile Christians, Gentile uh, churches, and with the first place, it would be um, 
Antioch. And so the Jerusalem church sent Judas Barsabbas and Silas, who were two key leaders from their church, sent them to go back with Paul and Barnabas and the others to take the letter and read it to the Antioch congregation. Well, in Acts chapter 15, verse 30 to 34, that reminds us of what happened then when they got back. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas also, being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. So they immediately gather the Antioch congregation together, read the letter to them. They are greatly encouraged. They're rejoicing because the biblical truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone had been clearly affirmed. This was an encouragement to them as far as their own salvation, but also to a continued witness to the world. We're told then that Judas and Silas preached lengthy uh, biblical messages to encourage the believers, spent some time there in Antioch, and then were sent out to return back to the Jerusalem church. And we're told they were sent out in peace, uh, really to emphasize the good relationship between the Jewish and Gentile churches, Jewish and Gentile believers. Well, that brings us to the verses that we'll be considering this morning. And in these verses, we read about a disagreement that actually occurred between Paul and Barnabas. So we'll pick up at verse 35 and read to the end of the chapter. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The account of these two men, uh, especially knowing who they were, separating like this really kind of catches you off guard if you, don't, if you didn't know it was already there. But Luke's honesty in reporting it to us really helps us to realize these kinds of things can happen even to the most mature Christians. But before we look at Paul and Barnabas' disagreement, I think it's important that we consider first Paul and Barnabas were examples of extensive God-honoring agreement. I mean, one of the main reasons that their disagreement is so unexpected is that their common faith and their shared ministry experiences were just so extraordinary. So first, it's very clear that Paul and Barnabas agreed on the biblical revealed gospel. They agreed on the gospel. They understood the gospel well. They shared it extensively. A couple things I want to mention about that. They were faithful to preach the gospel regardless of the cost. Faithful to preach it regardless of the cost. One of the clearest places we see the proclamation of this gospel uh, was especially in Acts 13, 16 to 41. Uh, that's the record of the message that was shared at the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. Luke gives us an extensive look at the message that Paul and Barnabas would share when they would go to synagogues. And Paul is the one doing the preaching in these verses, but it's clear that Barnabas is in full agreement with the things that he's saying. 
So in these verses, Paul refers often to the law and the prophets. Law and prophets had just been read in the synagogue that day. He refers often to the law and prophets. Included in that discussion is God's calling David to be king of Israel. He then refers to promises that God made about David's descendants and says that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of those promises. He was the promised Messiah. He spoke of how the Jewish leaders rejected that fact and called for the Romans to put Christ to death. Speaks of how he was then raised from the dead, again, just as it was prophesied in the Law and the Prophets. Well, Paul then speaks of the blessings of receiving Jesus as the Christ. He provides forgiveness for all who believe in him. He grants righteousness as a gift, again, to all who believe. And then Paul ended with a warning about the great danger in rejecting this salvation that the Lord had so graciously provided. But in spite of that warning, Jewish leaders end up inciting a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the region. Then in Acts 14, we get a much more abbreviated example of how they shared the gospel in a different context, this time with pagan idol worshipers. In Lystra, both Paul and Barnabas cry out against the idolatrous practices and call the people's attention to the gospel. They especially point out that the one true God is their creator. Therefore, they are all accountable to him. They're not accountable to pagan idols. They're accountable to the one God who created them. He had been patient to give time for sinners to repent of their sins and come to him. Well, it's about that point that Jews from Pisidian Antioch, over a hundred miles away, had showed up again following them, Paul and Barnabas, and they led the people of Lystra to stone Paul, drag him through the streets, and leave him for dead. God raised him up, and the next day Paul and Barnabas went to Derby to continue to preach the gospel. So those are really two key examples of how Paul and Barnabas were faithful to preach this gospel. They were often in danger because those who hated what they had to say just would not tolerate it. But together, Paul and Barnabas stood firm. They continued to preach regardless of what the cost was. Well, secondly, the scriptures also make it clear to us that they were faithful to defend the gospel, faithful to defend the gospel. Of course, when those Jewish believers claimed in Antioch that unless a person was circumcised, they could not be saved, both Paul and Barnabas stood up strongly against them. Paul and Barnabas had just finished testifying to the fact that the Lord had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And as a result, many had put their faith in Christ. And the church at Antioch, again, were so encouraged to hear this. But those Jewish teachers were challenging the gospel that Paul and Barnabas were teaching. It was, it was, they were challenging, really, what they were teaching there in Antioch and also what they have been sharing on the mission field. So when Paul and Barnabas heard what was going on, we read in Acts 15.3 that they had great dissension and debate. They stood against them with intensity. And then they went to Jerusalem to speak with the apostles there and the elders of the Jerusalem church. So altogether, they participated in three separate meetings uh, as part of that Jerusalem conference. They spoke publicly of the gospel. They spoke privately with the apostles about the gospel. They also spoke forcefully in the main gathering of that Jerusalem conference. And then when the council made the official decision that Paul and Barnabas were right about the gospel... They were chosen to go back and make this clear to the brethren there. So they not only agreed together on what the gospel was, they were faithful to preach it and defend it as well together.
Now, another important aspect of Paul and Barnabas' agreement is this. Paul and Barnabas agreed on the central importance of the local church. We see this in Barnabas even before Paul was converted. In Acts chapter 4, we get some insight into what the Jerusalem church was like in the earlier years. And uh, there is this, uh, I want to read one section that especially deals with, uh, with Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, picking up in verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. <coughs> For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here we see that Barnabas' given name was actually Joseph, but it was the apostles who gave him the name Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement, obviously because he had demonstrated that within the local church and had encouraged, been such an encouragement to believers there in just a, a very uh, clear and uh, demonstrative way. So he was, his name was changed by the apostles, son of encouragement, even sold some of his property to help care for those who were in need. Another way Barnabas served the local church is when he took the initiative to speak for Paul to the apostles at the Jerusalem church. This happens in Acts chapter 9. There we're told that when Paul went to Jerusalem for the first time after, about three years after his conversion, the people were afraid to associate with him. Of course, that makes sense on one side because he had been the leader of the persecution against the Christians. But on the road to Damascus, the Lord had intervened converted him. Like I said, that was about three years earlier. So now he's coming back to Jerusalem for the first time, and the people just aren't sure about the genuineness of his conversion, holding back from receiving Paul, who was known as Saul at that time. So Barnabas is the one who came alongside Paul and spoke up on his behalf. He spoke to the apostles of how he had been converted, the way he has spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus, and since Barnabas was so highly respected in the Jerusalem church, Paul was received and began to serve within the church. Barnabas took the initiative there. Another thing I'll just mention here about Barnabas, uh, we're going to mention a number of things about Barnabas because once we get past his passage, Barnabas never shows up again in Acts. But he was a key, he was a key figure. Whenever... Gentiles began to believe in great numbers in Antioch, and a church was begun there. The Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to Antioch, you remember this, to, to preach, to teach, to kind of engage that church. He was so encouraged by what he saw, you remember what Barnabas did, he went and got Saul from Tarsus, brought him back to help him minister there at the church at Antioch. I mean, there's just so many things that Barnabas did and they were all in the context of the local church. But Paul, Paul, of course, also proves to be strong on the importance of a local church. In fact, Luke makes it very clear, next point here, that they were instrumental in establishing local churches. This one of the most important, one of the most significant things that Paul and Barnabas did together in their missionary journey. The last thing they did before returning to Antioch was to return to those main cities where the gospel had been shared, where people had believed, and their purpose was to strengthen the souls of the disciples in those individual cities and encourage them to continue in the faith. 
Well, the way they did that was by organizing them into local churches, uh, helping them to appoint elders to keep watch over the souls of the members. So Paul and Barnabas were in full agreement of how important this was. And then next, in connection with that, we see that they, number two, they actively work to strengthen fellow believers. Actively work to strengthen fellow believers. First, we see over in Acts 14 that after their missionary journey was over, like we said, they came back to the church that had sent them out originally, the church at Antioch, to give them a full report of all the Lord had done with them uh, and their, through them in their ministry very encouraging to their brothers and sisters at the Antioch church. Then we're told of something else they did for their fellow Christians in their church. And I'm sure this is just an example of how it happened multiple times. In Acts 15.35, we're told that both of them stayed in Antioch again this time after the Jerusalem conference. And during that time, they regularly preached the word of the Lord to help strengthen the believers there. It seems they wanted to stay there for a time uh, in light of the challenge to their faith that had just happened at the Jerusalem and, and, and had been addressed at the Jerusalem conference, they wanted to make sure they were settled in their faith. And then you see this in verse 36 of Acts 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Are you surprised by that? Of course not. Of course you're not surprised by that. That's exactly what you would expect from Paul and Barnabas. They were so committed to the local churches and to the believers who were part of those churches. They felt a real responsibility to help them all that they could. They were both in full agreement on the importance of this. They understood the pressures that would be on these young believers. They wanted to help all that they could. John Calvin points out here that this is the kind of help really that we all need. But just an interesting quote. He says, Even those who have their anchor firmly fixed in the truth of God do not cease, notwithstanding, to be subject to diverse tossings. Diverse tossings. Spellcheck doesn't think that's a real word, but it is. <laughs> subject to diverse tossings, whereby, though their faith be not overturned, yet it has need of strengthening. So as believers, our assurance is that we are children of the one true God. We know that he's caused us to be born again. We know that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We know that our sins have been forgiven. We know that we stand before God firmly in the righteousness of Christ. We know that. But we also know that we are challenged on a regular basis by difficult temptations. Trials of life can oftentimes throw us for a loop. We know how easy it is to be inconsistent in prayer. We know how easy it is to be inconsistent in reading and meditating on Scripture. We know how easy it is to be discouraged by our own weaknesses, our own failures. We know that. So yes, we have that strong anchor fixed firmly in the truth of God. But we also know from experience that we're also subject to diverse tossings. We're not in danger. This is not necessarily a danger of giving up the faith, but we are definitely in need of strengthening. Well, Paul and Barnabas both understood that. And each of these young churches, of course, were in cities that had had persecutions of various sorts against the missionaries, which was probably going to be carried on against the believers who remained there. And even their leaders, of course, were young in the faith. 
So Paul and Barnabas had a real loving concern for them and wanted to help all that they could. So Paul and Barnabas were agreed on the central importance of the local church. And then finally we see that Paul and Barnabas agreed on the need to take the gospel to unreached people and establish churches for those who believed. This, of course, is what they did together in the first missionary journey. And in spite, again, of strong resistance, they continued to press on to go to places that had never heard of the gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, and all that, of course, that we've already said before that they shared with them. Well, the stated purpose of this second journey was to encourage the brethren in the churches that had been established in the first journey. But as the second journey gets underway, it becomes obvious there was every intention to go beyond what had been done before. Paul and Barnabas agreed on the need to take the gospel to unreached peoples. I think it's important to take note of just the massive agreement that Paul and Barnabas had before we consider their disagreement. They were both committed disciples of Christ. They were one in Christ. They both had a heart to take the gospel, the word of the Lord, to others. They both had a strong commitment to the local church. They both had a real heart to help young believers in their faith. They both wanted to see the gospel spread throughout the world. God had clearly brought them together. I mean, Barnabas was so crucial to Paul's ministry getting established in Jerusalem and at Antioch. God had brought them together. He had knit their hearts together as brothers in Christ. They had gone through so much together. They saw the Lord radically change people's lives through the gospel. They saw the Lord do many signs and wonders through their ministry. They endured rejection together. They endured physical pain and suffering together. They stood firm together when the truth of the gospel was shared. And yet these verses in Acts 15 tell us about something that became a big problem between them. So in our second main point, we see that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement that led to separate missionary endeavors. I want to read those verses again, starting in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." Again, what we read here, I think, just kind of takes us by surprise, but it really happened, and Luke doesn't shy away from telling it to us. So we see here first, though Paul and Barnabas agreed on returning to encourage the believers from their previous missionary journey, they disagreed on whether John Mark should come with them. Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them as they returned to encourage the churches. Paul was emphatic that Mark not be allowed to join them. And, of course, this goes back to the first journey. Actually, the connection with Mark goes back before that. Let me just kind of remind you a couple of things. Luke first introduces Mark to us in Acts chapter 12. The context there is when Herod had arrested Peter with the intention of publicly executing him. The church met together to pray, 
and God miraculously released Peter from prison. So after he was released, Peter went to the house of Mary where he knew the believers would be gathered. Well, Luke tells us that Mary was the mother of John, who was also called Mark. That's where he's first introduced to us. Obviously, he had a godly mother. During this time, Paul and Barnabas were in Jerusalem delivering an offering that the Antioch church had collected to help the, to help the Jerusalem church in the time of famine. And then in Acts 12, 25, we read this, And Paul and, or Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, their mission there in Antioch, their mission in Jerusalem and coming back to Antioch, and taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So they bring Mark back with them when they return to Antioch. It's the next three verses, the first three verses of, of chapter 13, that we see the leaders of the Antioch church meeting together for prayer. The Holy Spirit made it clear to them that they were to set aside Paul and Barnabas for what would become the first missionary journey. They went first to Cyprus, which was Barnabas' homeland, and we're told in Acts 13.5 that John Mark went along with them as their helper. Well, after their ministry in Cyprus had been completed, the missionaries sailed north to Pamphylia. When they arrived there, we are told that John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. We are never told what his reasons were for leaving. There are several possibilities. One is, and I mentioned this before, that Colossians 4.10 tells us that Barnabas and Mark were cousins. They were related. Now, before the mission team went to Pamphylia, Barnabas was always listed first as if he was the leader. Once they got to Pamphylia, the team is then described as Paul and his companions. So at this point, Paul emerged as the leader. Mark may not have appreciated that change. I mean, his cousin was no longer the leader. That's a possibility. It may just be that the missionary work was more difficult than he thought it was going to be. Once he got into it, he realized he was probably in over his head. Um, so he left. But whatever the reason, Paul clearly did not believe that Mark was justified in leaving the mission team. In verse 38, Paul said that Mark deserted them. So Paul apparently doesn't, did not feel that Mark had proven that he could be trusted with the responsibility of going on a missionary journey. There were obviously going to be many difficulties, many hard situations. Mark had not shrunk back in his faith. I mean, he was still strong, anchored, so to speak, in his faith, but he had not shown himself to be faithful in service before in that first missionary journey. So Paul was insistent that he not come with them. Barnabas clearly disagreed with Paul. He was, of course, not unaware of Mark's failings. He was there. He knew what happened. He was probably very disappointed that uh, Mark chose to leave when he did. But it's good to remember here why Barnabas was called Barnabas. The apostles gave him that name because it means son of encouragement. So it seems logical here that as an encouragement to Mark, he wanted to give him another chance. That just seems, that that's not hard to see there, I don't think. So Paul and Barnabas were seeing the situation from two different perspectives. In reality, both of them had good points, I think. But they were able to come, unable to come to a compromise. They both stood firm in their opinion. So we see next, 
that the disagreement continued to the point that Paul and Barnabas separated from one another on this particular occasion. Verse 39 speaks of this as a sharp disagreement. The word speaks of an incitement or an irritation. There was, probably, there was some emotion in the discussion, maybe even some anger. Some commentators I've read believe strongly Paul was the one who was right. Others believe that Barnabas was the one who was right. As I've said, I really think they both had valid points. That the other person should, that each, they should have taken each other's points seriously. I would say probably more seriously than they did. But the disagreement ended up separating two men who clearly loved the Lord, loved each other, loved the church, and loved communicating the gospel. Now, we should note here, too, this was not a permanent separation. Paul speaks highly of Barnabas later, for example, in his letter to the Colossians. This did not end their friendship. They were no longer working together as missionaries, so to speak. But they did continue as brothers in Christ. So this is not a once-for-all separation. Actually, that's why I pointed out. It was in this particular situation that they had a, that they, they had a, a strong disagreement about. John Calvin believed that Paul was the one who was in the right here. But he also believed Paul was wrong for not considering that there might be a middle way. He makes this observation, which I think is very insightful. He says, Therefore we be admonished by this example, that unless the servants of Christ take great heed, there be many chinks, C-H-I-N-K-S, there be many chinks, through which Satan will creep in to disturb that concord which is among them. When we consider who Paul and Barnabas were and the substantial agreement that they had, the friendship they had, it's surprising that this happened. But Calvin says we should be admonished by this. Every servant of Christ has chinks or cracks in the armor. None of us are perfect None of us does the right thing every time. We oftentimes will say things we shouldn't have said. Sometimes we'll leave things unsaid that we should have said. We often fail to consider carefully what other people are going through. And no matter how thorough you are in your theological studies, there are areas where you're probably wrong. There are attitudes or feelings you have that are not, and I have, that are not God-honoring. There are chinks in the armor for every one of us. And Satan is quite skilled at highlighting the areas where we're weak. He is quite skilled at making certain disagreements much bigger than they really need to be. I think one of the reasons that the Lord wanted this story included in the scripture is as a warning for us. And our desire to be God-honoring in all that we believe and all that we do in our relationships, our priorities, so forth, how we live our life, never forget to be humble. We should not forget the importance of humility. I think if they had both, I think if Paul and Barnabas had remembered that, there, there may have been a different outcome. But there's another very important point to note from this event. God and his providence used this unfortunate disagreement to bring about two missionary journeys instead of one and also as a help to John Mark's maturity in the faith. We're told in verse 39 that Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed away to Cyprus. 
They went there, of course, it says to strengthen the faith of those who had believed as part of the first missionary journey, because that's where the first missionary journey started, was in Cyprus. We see in verse 40 that Paul took Silas with him. Silas, you remember, was one of the prophets who was one of the leading men of the Jerusalem church who had come to minister at the Antioch church as a representative of the Jerusalem church. We're told that Paul and Silas then traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches that Paul and Barnabas had started in those regions. We're also told that Paul and Silas were committed by the brethren of the Antioch church to the grace of the Lord before they left. We're not told that about Barnabas and Mark. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. Luke is emphasizing the ministry of Paul, and that's where his focus is. And I think one thing to note here, the fact that both mission teams returned to the places that were part of the first missionary journey, just like had been initially proposed, gives the impression they chose to divide the mission field between them. It's not like one went in spite of the other. They went, I think, in conjunction. So, so even though we see an unfortunate disagreement played out before us, we also see that God in his providence used it to his glory. The mission endeavor was actually doubled as a result. That doesn't let Paul and Barnabas off the hook for what they did, but it's encouraging to note that God is fully able to take even our bad decisions and use them for good. I think it's also important to note here that God used this in Mark's life as well. We see later in 2 Timothy, for example, the last letter that Paul wrote before he died, before he was executed, he speaks of Mark as a person who was highly useful to him. Uh, in Philemon uh, 24, Mark is described as one of Paul's fellow workers. So God used Mark in Paul's life and ministry down the road. Whatever weaknesses there had been in Mark's life before, he had now grown to the point of being a fellow worker with Paul. Not to mention he also became the author of the book of the Gospel of Mark. And though we're not directly told this, I strongly suspect that Barnabas had a big part in Mark's growth and his maturity in the Lord. God in his providence can use all things, even our weaknesses, to his glory. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your word. We thank you for revealing to us the things that are encouraging, things that we want to model. We want to be like these things. So many of the things that we see that Paul and Barnabas did and that they agreed and really were so intent on honoring you from every aspect. But I thank you that you also share examples with us as warnings of things we need to be careful of, things we need to avoid. We are all, we all have chinks in our armor. We do. Every one of us have places, some, and some of them we're aware of. Others we're not, and those are probably especially dangerous. Lord, I ask that you would just continue to help us first to persevere in the things that we know are right, that Christians should agree on as far as what we believe, as far as how we live. Um, help us to continue strongly in those things in which we agree. Lord, also help us to be careful. 
Help us to be people who are willing to be humble, willing to look at the situation a little differently than maybe, maybe how it first appears to us, to think on things that are true, as we looked at earlier. But Lord, I also just ask for your help there, because if it can sneak up on people like Paul and Barnabas, it can sneak up on us. It can cause us problems. Lord, help us to be consciously trusting in you for help, to know when to take a stand, but also to know when it's time to especially show humility in whatever the circumstance might be. Lord, we thank you again for the gospel that we see exemplified in Paul and Barnabas' ministry in their life. If you're one who has never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I would call you to consider Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. A prayer like this will be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I'm sinful. I realize that I have not measured up. You are my God, and I am accountable to you. And there is sin that I admit is there, not just one or two, but a lot. As a matter of fact, there's even a heart in me that doesn't really want to trust you. I want to trust myself. But if you, want to, if you just admit those things to the Lord and say, Lord, I realize that there's sin there, but I also recognize that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I want to commit my life to him as my Savior and follow him as the Lord of my life. If you want to talk about that commitment in more detail, make a note in your tear-off, or those who are watching online can reach out to us through the website. It is the name.